You're listening to Love Your City. It's a Movement Australia podcast. We believe that communities can be transformed as a unified church in every city or town lives and proclaims the gospel into every sphere of society. We'll tell stories from where this is already happening. We'll dig into the Bible to better understand God's heart for cities and towns. And we'll discuss practical strategies. Because no matter where you live, a gospel movement can happen. I want to welcome everyone today. This is a series that I'm doing of interviews of women all around the world because for the last 18 months, uh, myself and a group of women have been writing and compiling a book called Disruptive City Women, stories of women from many different nations who have seen darkness and disrupted it with the light of God and um, just amazing stories. So today I'm so privileged to have with me all the way from the UK, from a city called Salford, Jill Baker. Hello, Jill. Hi. Jill is just one of the nicest women I um, know, even though I haven't known her for very long, but just beautiful. But before I um, get too much into asking you questions, Jill, just going to read a bit of um, why you've made it into the book. Because <laughs> you probably don't see yourself as disruptive. And you know, no. <laughs> can still be disruptive and a nice, sweet, smiling lady, uh, which is good news for everyone. Um, but Jill was appointed as the Director of Education for the City of Salford in 2002, overseeing hundreds of schools in her city. In her time there from the year 2002 to 2009, she saw secondary education results improve from 34 to 76% in levels of highest achievement. This was the greatest increase in England. These results were above national average. Jill also saw a 117% rise in Salford young people being accepted into university. So um, just amazing stuff there. And we're not, today I'm not going to ask you questions of how you did that because everyone's going to be wondering, especially all the school teachers and educators. But we want to have a bit more of a background chat and um, encourage people to go and get the book. Now, Jill, you have lived in Salford all your life. Um, not many people do that. You must love the city, do you? I do, I do. And, and not just me, but my family goes back generations in Salford. So it's, it's always felt like home. Um, my relatives uh, live here. My children have grown up here and been educated here. Um, I've always been open to moving elsewhere. I've been for interviews in other places, which would have meant the family relocating. Uh, but it's, it's never worked and I've no regrets about that. Um, it's it's a lovely place and I think there's something special about living for 65 years in the same city. Um, I, I just feel as though I belong here, I love the place, I love the people, um, it's home. Yeah, you must know everyone in the whole city, do you? Well, not quite. <laughs> yeah, and I actually, that's where I first met you, it must have been three years ago when I was over in England for um, Movement Day UK, um, got to visit Salford and hear a lot of the amazing story of what God has done in that city and just sit with you for some time and hear your story. But describe to us a bit of, you know, the reputation, the backstory of, of what Salford is like for those who haven't been there. Okay, so it's in the northwest of England. It's adjacent to Manchester. So I think there's a history of always feeling that we're in the shadow of Manchester. It is a city, as is Manchester, um, of about 250,000 people um, was at the heart of the Industrial Revolution. Um, 
and I guess in some ways benefited from that, but also the, all of the, the, the poverty and deprivation that often went alongside what happened over many years. Um, and, uh, and then in the, I guess in the 60s, 70s, 80s, um, again, a, a familiar story in industrialized cities of um, the old uh, way of earning your living disappearing and there being, a, I think in general, a loss of hope. So my father worked in a factory um, in the city uh, for over 40 years. That's, he had one job and he did it for over 40 years and never expected it to be anything different. Uh, and it wasn't. But then those sorts of jobs uh, began to disappear and the poverty in the city grew. And not just poverty financially, but a poverty of aspiration um, where people just felt well, it's never going to get any better than this. Um, so that's that's how it was um, as I moved into sort of teenage years and in my 20s and so on. Uh, so it, looking back, it, it was a difficult place and high levels of crime and so on. Yeah. And obviously that um, affected the education system um, a whole. Yeah. Um, and that's what you saw and that's what you have disrupted. Did you have dreams as a girl growing up? Um, you know, for your life? What did you hope to be? Um, well, m my parents um, were, uh, when I was born, were, were quite poor. My dad worked in a factory. My mum was a home help, which meant that she went um, every morning, she went to an elderly person's house and did the cleaning for them or whatever. Um, and, but, and they both left school when they were 14 um, and been educated part-time for a few years before that because it was the Second World War, they were evacuated. So, um, that, But they were determined that their children, and I have two brothers, uh, were going to have a good education. They saw that as the key. They saw that as the way out of poverty. Okay. Um, and I was the oldest and uh, I just knew that I was going to get a good education. I was going to work hard uh, because that's what my parents told me. And I did work hard at school and I enjoyed it and I got some recognition for it. But at the same time, I wanted to be a mum because I had a lovely mum and I wanted to be a lovely mum. So I wasn't quite, I don't think I realised at the time that sometimes that's quite difficult to do both of those things. Um, but that, that's what I wanted. Okay, that's fantastic. And did you get that? Yeah, I did. I did. Thank God, I did. Amazingly. <laughs> Amazingly, because it didn't look as though it was going to be like that. And um you know, just as an example, when, when I got married, um, we decided, my husband and I decided that we didn't want to leave the children in childcare. I'm not saying that would be right for everybody, but we decided that one of us would always be at home with the children. Mm. So age 26, I had my first child um, and, uh, and gave up my job and thought, well, that's, that's my career. That, that's the end of my career. Um, but that was okay and it felt a little bit like a sacrifice but it was the right thing to do yeah. um, and I stayed at home for nine years had two more children um, did a little bit of part-time teaching in that time um, and then at age 25 saw an amazing job advertised that I wanted to do and my husband said okay apply and if you get it I'll give up work and I'll look after the children and I'll take a turn and I applied, I got it, and the rest, as they say, is history. History. <laughs> I'm so glad you said yes that you did become a mum, or that would have been a really awkward moment. Um, 
I never asked you about that, but yeah, that's great. Let's just go back to your university days because you finished school, you went to university, you studied teaching, is that what you studied? No, no, I studied um, maths, French and European studies. Okay, so you're, you're pretty smart then. <laughs> you're well, I'm, I've got a broad interest, so okay. I didn't want to just do maths and I just found one course in the whole country that brought together maths and French and European studies was a bonus. So, wow. yep. And more importantly, during those years, you um, met Jesus. How did that come about? I did. Well, <clears throat> although my parents and um, family in general didn't go to church, in the 50s when I was a child, it was felt a good thing to send your children to Sunday school and to church. So I, I and my brothers went to church. Um, and it didn't mean an awful lot. It was quite a nice experience. But then went to university, met my boyfriend, who um, is now my husband, fell in love. And he kept asking me why I went to church and he wanted to know what I believed. And I didn't have the answers. And it was a bit embarrassing, really, um, to say, well, I'd just always go. And he was really looking for something. And then some friends while we were at university invited us to a mission. And we went, um, it was a, a lunchtime thing. There was a, a guy there who was uh, young and trendy talking about God. And we went, but I couldn't go on the Thursday. Um, I had a driving lesson. So I went on the Friday, and on the Friday, this guy said, um, explain how to become a Christian, you have to be born again. And age 19, 20, I just suddenly thought, why has nobody ever told me that before? Now, maybe people had, and I just hadn't realised. Mm. But I realised you had to do something, you had to be born again, you were forgiven, you got a new life. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. And he said at the end, you have to say this prayer. So I said this prayer. I thought, right, I've done something important here. But I didn't know whether my husband, well, husband-to-be, who was sitting next to me, whether he'd said the prayer too. And as we were walking to get a bus to go home, I just suddenly thought, what if I have and he hasn't? <laughs> so I, I just, it was a terrible moment. And I thought, I've got to tell him. So I said to him, um, I said that prayer today did you? And he said, no. And I just suddenly thought, oh, this is really bad news. And then he said, I said it yesterday when you had your driving lesson, but I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to influence you. What right. wisdom is that? That was such a wise thing to do. So he became a Christian the day before, but didn't tell me in case it swayed me. Amazing. Well, yeah, Amazing. Changed our lives. I bet, yeah. No, fantastic. That's a great story there. So we're just going to um, now fast to um, you becoming Director of Education in 2002. Now, mm -hmm. was that a total surprise or was that something you were working towards or it just came out of the blue? Um, I, I just, in my career, I just wanted to do the job that God had got for me and to do it as well as I possibly could. Mm -hmm. So... You know, I say to people, I've never been ambitious and I don't think people believe me because I know some people have like five-year plans and their aim is to be at the top of the ladder. And that was never my aim. I, would, I was much more keen on being a good mum and a good wife and, you know, a good, uh, a good employee and, and wanted to do everything as well as I could. But then, you know, jobs were, were there and I thought, yeah, I'd like to do that. I'll give it a try always prayed about it, always felt I want to be where God wants me to be because I don't want to make a mess of this. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, so the, 
I'd worked in Salford and then I worked in another place and then the job for the director in Salford came up and I just felt in praying about it it was the right thing to do and the joy of becoming director of education in the city where I was born in fact the day I got the job I went to tell my mum and dad who were in their um, 60s at the time and they both cried they mm. both cried because they were so proud mm. and it was just amazing so and, and so in a sense it was a surprise I had, it wasn't in the plan <laughs> yeah yep it was in God's plan though yeah yeah <laughs> So you come into this position, you're inheriting some of the worst education stats in the nation. Um, where do you begin? What, what do you do? What, how did you turn around a sinking ship? <laughs> um, I guess I, uh, the first thing is, is that I knew that I couldn't do it on my own. I couldn't even do it with great people around me. I just knew that God had put me there. He'd given me a job and I had to keep reminding myself, if he's given me the job, he's given me the way to do it and it wasn't easy um, but I think the, the apart from focusing on God and, and just listening for him for direction the key thing for me was was my honesty and my integrity and winning over people because there'd been a history between the local authority and head teachers where there'd been a loss of trust and fractured relationships so I concentrated on building up relationships, being really honest with people, making it clear what I expected of them, but asking them what they expected of me as well. And then trying to grow around me a team of people who shared that vision and that passion for thinking, these children and these young adults in this city, the, the doors should be open for them. We cannot accept that this is the best that they can do. And I was born here and I lived in that area that people say is one of the worst areas in the country. I lived there, but I had parents who wanted good things for me. And so they can do it. If I can do it, then yeah. they can do it. Yeah. Did you carry a sense of, you know, calling of God's put me here, I'm a missionary to the education field in our city? Was that strong? I'm very grandiose, and I certainly wouldn't have said that to my colleagues. No, I did. No, I, I did. I, I did feel um, that God had given me that job because I, I hadn't struggled for it. I hadn't tried to climb the greasy pole. I just felt as though I was a person that God had said, okay, you're here, you care, um, you've got a good education that your mum and dad always wanted you to have, and this is how you can use it. And I was also surrounded and supported by godly people who I know prayed for me and supported yeah. me and when times were difficult who were shoulders to cry on as well as a wonderful husband who was a wonderful shoulder to cry on. Yeah just more of the prayer support that you had because um, that's vital um, when we're in these roles um, we need the prayer support so just tell us a bit more about that. Well I, I never saw my job as just education or working with others with social services or health or whatever to improve things. I just felt that God was doing something across the city and I was a part of that. So there's a, like this big jigsaw and I'm a little piece. So I, I knew some really godly people who were doing other things in other parts of the city and who were praying for the city and had been praying for the city for years. Mm -hmm. So for quite a few years, my husband and I, had, had done prayer walking with a, a group of Christians across the city before I had any thought of, of that job. 
and we would walk around the city and look what was happening and we would pray and ask for God to lead us in our prayers um, and just to believe that that he could take ordinary people um, and make a difference. So I, I felt it was part of something bigger. And I will never know this side of glory, how how many people going back many, many years had prayed and prepared a way. Because you don't just come into something and wow, everything is fantastic. I just believe that there were years when people prayed for this city and believed that God would step in and make a difference. Yeah. No, and there's, I mean, I wish we had time to tell the full Salford story because there's stories upon stories and people and um, it's just amazing. Um, and you're one part of the body. This is it. You know, we're a part yeah, of Christ yeah. across the city, different churches, different denominations in our in our post, you know, fighting on the battle, um, encouraging each other. So you were there. Um, just coming back to your position as, yeah, the Director for Education, I remember you know, I was with you a few years ago, you just talking about something so simple because sometimes, you know, thinking, oh, man, a disruptive woman, yep, you've got to do the big things. I remember you, um, someone put a, a roster for who's doing the dishes in the staff room. Yeah. <laughs> tell it, You tell the story. <laughs> okay, so I was Director of Education. I had a personal assistant. I was at the top of the tree budget of millions of pounds over a hundred schools but also all the youth services and nurseries and it was a it was a, you know a pretty big deal um, and my secretary used to make cups of tea for me and for my visitors but then if she was really busy and I had got a moment I would go in the kitchen I'd make a cup of tea I'd put my sandwiches in the fridge and one day there was a a thing stuck on the fridge that said this fridge is in a disgraceful condition um, we need to be on a rotor to to take turns to clean the fridge so I put my name on the on the rotor why would I not I was using yeah. it like anyone else put my name on the rotor went in a couple of days later and somebody put a line through my name so I put it somewhere else and and this happened two or three times and I didn't understand because every time somebody put a line through my name and then one day um I was talking to somebody and she said um she said it was her that had put a line through my name. So I said, why, why would you do that? And she said, well, somebody's just messing about and putting your name on the rotor. And I said, no, it was me. And she was so surprised that the director would volunteer to clean the fridge. Yeah. And it, it just helped me to realise that people see you sometimes as a stupid human person. I'm, a, I, I'm just, somebody, I clean my own fridge. Why would I not clean a fridge at, at work? And yeah. I... In retrospect, I think it sort of said something that some people didn't believe, but other people thought, yeah, of course you should clean the fridge. <laughs> well, it, it's great. And, um, you know, as leaders, we should be. Um, and I think it does a lot to build the, the team morale. And as you said, those initial days of really having to build trust and relationships um, mm -hmm. in the fridge helps do that. Yeah, finally, I mean, being a woman in such a high position, did you find any resistance to that? Um, was it a man's world or? When I, when I first went into, uh, before I was a director of education, I was an assistant director okay. um, in Salford and then I moved out and came back. And then, which was sort of the mid nineties, early mid nineties, um, the world of, of uh, education management, education leadership across local authorities was definitely a man's world. So there used to be national conferences and um, they were nearly all white 
middle-aged men and a few women like myself. And if I'm honest, we were not treated well. We were treated as sort of appendages. And I, I've been to meetings where I was the most senior person and people thought I was a secretary, um, just assumed that I was a secretary. So I'd, there were one or two people who I felt had got a really negative view of women and their ability. Other people who were just a bit ignorant and not used to women having positions of responsibility. Um, but by and large, I, I didn't feel that, especially as time moved on, by the time I became director, I think things that the culture had begun to change. And there were a few more women in a similar position nationally. Um, and it became a bit easier. And I always found that mostly when you got to know people and they got to know you, what they mattered, what mattered to them, what they cared about is, can this woman do a good job? Yeah. And actually, if she's a woman, okay, we can live with that. If she can do a good job, if we can trust her, if she's going to make a difference for these kids and their families, then that's fine. Yeah, and I think the results speak for themselves. Um, and obviously, with the help of God and everything, but um, no, it's um, quite a, a remarkable story that you have, Jill, and uh, thank you for writing about it in the book and sharing a bit more of the behind the scenes. Um, and, you know, you should write a whole book yourself. All I've done is a <laughs> chapter of a thousand words, but um, write, write a whole book because I know there's so much more to the story too. But thank, thank you. you time. Thank you for being obedient to God's call upon you in a city. And um, I trust that your story will really encourage um, women all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. I want to do that. I want to encourage other people to think, God can use me yeah. wherever he puts me. Absolutely. Um, it's vital. Very, very important. Well, I'll let you get on with your day and um, I'm going to finish my day. But thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure.